0: We are uh, continuing our series in Luke, we're actually, uh, we, we just have, um, with different things going on the next couple weeks, uh, we'll have, we'll actually finish up Luke uh, in about two months, or less than two months, which, if you've been following along, we started Luke in 2013, so uh, we took some breaks, right, uh, but we're getting there, we're, we're actually in this moment where uh, we're getting very close to the end, right? Uh, Jesus has been heading to Jerusalem and, uh, he's there, he's been arrested. He is headed to, to death on the cross. And that's what we're, we're looking at right before the crucifixion. He's, uh, in, uh, the custody of Pilate. Uh, there are those calling for him to die. We know that's actually what's going to happen. Um, and so we find ourselves with this story of the, the crowd yelling out to Pilate, uh, to release Barabbas instead of Jesus. I, I, I think we're going to find uh, in this that we're going to focus on the fact that there are those who have this uh, problematic relationship with Jesus. They're actually in opposition to him. Uh, we'll look at three different characters there, but it's a reminder of how we often relate to and think about uh, Jesus. Um, we, we, we want it to be easier and simpler than it is, uh, both in our minds and in our experience, but uh, it's often complicated. You, you may have heard me use the illustration before that if you were to walk into a, a bookstore, um, if you were to find one that still exists, uh, or you were to get on Amazon uh, Prime and find some books, and you looked up uh, the the self help section, you would find a lot of books there, right? And and you would uh, you would find a lot of new self help books, and they're new ones because the old ones haven 't allowed us to fix ourselves right uh, there's constantly new ones and there's no book out there that's like okay here 's the solution and and sometimes we can think well then then the answer is Jesus, or the answer is to come to god and there is there is some truth to that I, be, I do believe that uh, that, that we get a lot of answers from the Lord and his revelation of himself and uh, answers from Jesus. But we also need to recognize and be honest about the fact that there's also a lot of complications. And we remember that in this season of Lent. And as we celebrate Lent, we're, we're, we uh, sometimes, we, we kind of uh, are just reminded here and there. Uh, uh, we, we don't dive uh, super deep into Lent, but it is a good reminder of the fact that we're finite, the fact that we're broken, the fact that we've rebelled against our God, the fact that we can't fix ourselves. Uh, if, you, uh, if you remember last year but around this season, I was preaching through Ecclesiastes, which is this really challenging book, and the writer of Ecclesiastes goes through this, you know what, I don't have answers to meaning in life, and I'm going to pursue it in all these different ways. I'm going to be successful. I'm just going to work hard i'm gonna gain a lot of knowledge i'm just gonna live like i want to and seek all the pleasure i can he goes through all these things and none of them are satisfying and so then he comes to the lord and we'd like to say then he comes to the lord he has all his answer all his questions answered and that's not what happens he actually comes to the lord he's like i still don't understand trust the lord that's that's complicated right that's that's uncomfortable for us Uh, Maybe particularly as as churchgoers, how how do we deal with these complicating factors of what it means to relate to Jesus when He doesn't give all the answers in the ways that we want? And and if we're honest, we recognize that every one of us has some level of problematic relationship to Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you, you know, and you're here, then it's like why are people doing this? Why, why is this even happening, gathering around who Jesus is to worship him uh, every Sunday? It, it, it maybe even just uh, a little bit feels weird, right? Singing songs and doing these things. Uh, what is this about, right? Uh, but even those of us who are followers of Jesus often have problematic relationship with him because we read or hear things that are challenging to us that we don't, we don't really like. And so, As we dive into this passage in Luke 23, we're going to see essentially three different players in the story who have a considerably difficult and problematic relationship to Jesus. We're going to look at the crowd, we're going to look at Pilate, and then Barabbas. Uh, So let me pray and we'll, we'll take a look, we'll dive in. Lord, we ask that you would, through the power of your Spirit, reveal yourself to us. Reveal Jesus to us and change our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The first thing that we find is this crowd, this crowd who is crying out uh, for the death of Jesus. They're crying out for him to be crucified. Now, they're, they're led by the chief priests and the rulers of the people. We see that from back in 13, verse 13, before this passage was read. That's this crowd. It is uh, the chief priests, the rulers. It is the religious folks here who are crying out uh, for the death of Jesus. And it is, um, it, it, it's is—it's pretty powerful, this crowd that is, is crying out. And we, we it's described as loud cries or shouting. Uh, verses 18, 20, 21, 23. They're making a big deal of the way that this crowd is loudly crying out. We, we look back in verse 10 and we see that they're vehemently Crying out against Jesus and bringing accusations against him, uh, so uh, it is it is powerful and it is very clearly in opposition to Jesus and asking for his death. And we remember we, we need to remember that uh, that this group that many of them just five days before this were worshiping him, were praising him as he entered into Jerusalem. They were laying down their coats and palm fronds as he uh, entered into the city, and they were hailing him as the king. They were they were hailing him as a king that they thought would would act a bit differently than he did. They they wanted a military king. That's not what they got, and so they're pretty upset, right? Uh, and they're all jumping in together. We can imagine uh, the way that this crowd is is acting and influencing uh, one another. Oh, just a quick side note. I think it's helpful to to remember. Uh, in the scope of history, a little bit of what's going on here and the way that some of this story has been misused. We, we get a little bit more detail in the gospel of Matthew. And we, we hear of more conversation between Pilate and these, this group of Jewish people. And this is very clearly a group of Jewish people. And so in history, we unfortunately find that with that account, there are some that would use this account to say, uh, or to, to live out and say anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish things, right? That, that's something that has happened throughout history. And uh, let's just be really clear that that is uh, this is a horrible misunderstanding and misreading of the whole story of Scripture, this story included. It just does not fit at all with what's going on here. Uh, the reality is that, yes, the Jewish crowd is culpable, they are guilty, but so is Pilate, this Gentile leader. Uh, so is all of humanity. That has been the story from Genesis 3, that everybody has a problem, that we're all uh, in this together in the guilt that we hold. And Jesus, who who's known what's coming, has actually already made that clear in the book of Luke, back in chapter 9, and then also in chapter 18, he talks about the death that is coming for him. And he, in 9:22, blames it on the Jews. in 9:44, he blames it on all humanity, and in chapter 18, he blames it on the Gentiles. Not to say he blames it on is saying that they all hold some level of guilt. That's the story of scriptures. We all fall into that category. As we look at the crowd, as we look at Pilate, as we look at Barabbas, uh, there is a, a very appropriate position that we should take to put ourselves in that position, to see ourselves as the crowd as Pilate, as Barabbas. This is not falling on a particular people in exclusion of others. That is not what's happening here. And and not to mention the fact that Jesus is Jewish, the disciples are Jewish, the early church is Jewish. It it, it just is is just ridiculousness to, to think that it's not about me, that it's not about us and the issues that we have and our problematic relationship to Jesus. So we find this crowd... And they are crying out for his death. They're 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 not being thoughtful. They're they're being they're they're getting caught up with one another. And certainly, we could say that the leaders here hold more culpability. But they're all culpable. They're all jumping in. And and, and we might think, well, I'm, that's not going to be me. I'm I'm more thoughtful than that. And certainly, as Presbyterians, you know, we're very thoughtful. <laughs> that's that's who we are and what we do. Right. Uh, so often at the rejection of the emotional or the experience, which is also not the right way to go, those two things work together. But, you know, we think I don't get caught up with the crowd. And I, would, I would certainly never get caught up in a crowd like that, right? Because I'm an introvert and I don't like crowds and I'm not even going to be around them. And, uh, and so I'm not going to find myself uh, influenced in that kind of way. But I think we, we recognize, if we're honest with ourselves, that we're constantly influenced by the those around us, by the crowds, and that could be culture, that could be family, that could be church. That, there are any number of things, and we need to be honest about the ways in which those things influence us. And in ways in which those things might even, as if we are followers of Jesus or thinking about following Jesus, that we would say, how do those things affect the way I think about the world? And particularly, how do those uh, influences around me affect the way that I think about Jesus and and potential opposition or joining in with him. Because our culture does tell us something very clear. I've talked about the fact that uh, in history, Aaron Wren, who actually lives over in Fletcher Place and writes uh, a lot of thoughtful things about uh, following Jesus and the church and culture and all these kind of things, talks about the fact that in the scope of his life, which is also in the scope of mine, that being a part of the church has moved from a culturally positive uh, position uh, as I was growing up, to a culturally neutral thing uh, in maybe the around '90s, 2000s, but then it has moved into a culturally negative thing in many circles, and there are a lot of reasons for that. and We won't we'll go into all of those things, but there is pressure that if we if we throw our hats in with Jesus, uh, that uh, that there would be those who would think we're crazy or ridiculous or bigoted or any number of things, right? Uh, And we need to recognize some of those realities and think about how that culture that we just, that becomes the air we breathe influences the way that we think. And we also need to recognize those places where what we're hearing around us is just like the leaders and this crowd is telling lies about Jesus. Because there are very, very few people, let's be honest, there are very, very few people that would say, I'm opposed to Jesus. No, that, that's not what we find, even those that think that the church is, uh, is a bad place to be, right? Um, and I was just thinking about all the side notes. Yes, the church is messed up often. We're full of sin. and Like that whole, we're in opposition to Jesus. That means that sometimes within the church, there's great brokenness. Often within the church, there's great brokenness. It's a sadness to see um, but that doesn't negate the reality of the, the need for all of us to look to Jesus and find hope there and find value in his church and his people. Um, so that was a little side note for free. Uh, the, the, the recognition is that we need to think about those stories that are part of the air that we breathe. So many would say, yeah, I'm, Jesus is great. And, and, and here in uh, in our time, we would say, you know, I love G- Jesus is about love, and he's caring for the vulnerable, and he heals people who are sick, and uh, he says we should, you know, care for the poor. I mean, maybe not me specifically, but other people should care for the poor, and uh, that's a that's a good thing, right? But then I actually have a problem with the fact that Jesus talks about judgment and hell, and I have a problem with the fact that he says that the way that I live my life and spend my money. And relate to other people and one of my relationships, family, friends, uh, romantic interests, all of those things, that Jesus has something to say about those things. That, those are the parts that I don't like. And so I'm just going to kind of ignore those parts. I'm going to focus on the parts of Jesus that I like. And ultimately what we're doing there is we're telling lies about Jesus. Because here's the truth. Every one of us falls in that category of, at some level, opposition to Jesus. And When that is the reality, that means that there are, for every single one of us, as we learn more about who he is, as he has revealed himself in his word, we're going to find things that we don't like. Every single one of us. Because our hearts are dark and selfish and in rebellion against God. Every single one of us is going to read and learn things about Jesus that we don't like. We need to be willing to do the hard work of telling the truth about who Jesus is. And, and then think about where we might be opposed to him. And that does take some level of work. If, if, if we're not actually spending time in his word, which we're told is in this super mysterious, beautiful way connected to Jesus deeply because he is himself described as the word. If we're not learning and spending time with him, then then we have a, we, will, we will end up with a false understanding of who he is. We will end up being influenced by the lies that we ourselves tell. And to be clear, as a, a little side note for free, I mean, there are times where the church gets it wrong, right? We, we need to be willing to, we, we, are, we are reformed. That's our, our theology, and we don't, we, that's not like the top line of who we are, but it is, it is true. And, the, and the, that refers to theology that came out of the Reformation in the 16th century, but one of the things that we say regularly is that we're reformed, always reforming, that we always, each and every one of us as people, as groups, we need to be learning and growing ourselves, that we don't have it. We're not, we will not find ourselves in a place where we have arrived until Jesus returns. So the question is, where are we influenced by the crowd and how does that affect the way that we think about who Jesus is and the way that we relate to him? And um, the reality is probably none of us in this room will be crying out for the death of Jesus, but we still find ourselves often opposed to him and who he really is. If we move from the crowds to Pilate, we might find ourselves in a little bit of a more comfortable position if we think good things about Jesus. Pilate is this reluctant, finds himself in reluctant opposition to Jesus, which is interesting because Pilate is a uh, pretty ruthless leader we know from church, uh, from just history, from regular history, he is pretty ruthless. But we find him again and again saying, wait, he, he, um, he's innocent. Actually, the third time we see in verse 22, uh, a third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. It's not that great, right? I haven't found any evil. I'm going to punish him, but not kill him. Um, and punishment actually might be the flogging that he receives that, that many people actually die at the hands of. Pilate is not necessarily a positive character, which is interesting because uh, some of the church in church history actually really reveres Pilate and his wife, Claudius. We know more from Matthew's account that Claudius had this, uh, this, Claudia had this vision of, of the fact that Pilate should, should just not have anything to do with Jesus. Um, it's not that it end up being what happens, but in the in the Coptic Church, uh, they actually talk about Saint Pilate and Saint Claudia, and uh, and that could be either because part of church history would say uh, there, that early church history says that Pilate ended up becoming a Christian. And that's absolutely consistent with the gospel that there could be redemption even from this great brokenness because Pilate does end up sentencing Jesus to crucifixion and death. But he holds culpability for that. There's, but he's that reluctant one, right? Maybe that's, that's us. And why, why does he end up making that decision? Why does he end up going that route? He has again and again, again, the third time, he says, what evil has he done? I haven't found any problem here. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. We know, again, from Matthew, that he saw he saw violence coming he saw a riot coming he saw unrest he saw uncertainty he saw him being out of control he saw his power at risk and this is often what happens with us We're, we we like yeah, jesus is great but kind of as long as he serves the ends that i want to pursue jesus is great as long as he fits in with both my definition of him and my definition of what i want life to be jesus is that thing that gets me to what i want and and as we have been sitting in Jesus's suffering. We've been doing for a few weeks now, and we're gonna to continue to do that, not only in the season of Lent, but certainly here where we find ourselves in the story. Jesus invites us into that suffering, into our weakness, and I talked about last week, the fact that we think that we're really experiencing Jesus when he meets us in our success, and he allows us to, to uh, be great, even in like spiritual, the spiritual realm, right? So as we think about particularizing and being our own church, Jesus meets us when we're doing great as a church, when we become our own church, and then we're going to grow and we're going to have an impact, and that's where Jesus meets us. But what we find again and again and again throughout Scripture is Jesus meets us in our weakness. He meets us in our brokenness. He meets us in suffering. And this is part of the problem, that as we find so many turn from faith, And they turn to, we can call it deconstruction or leaving the faith. It's often because they've heard of faith that promises them success and goodness and ease. And that is not what we find. We find a Jesus here who is being unjustly accused and is suffering and about to die. And he's inviting us into that. And we need to be reminded of that in order that we don't think wrongly about the promises Of Jesus. The promise is, suffer with me. The promise is, come and experience death with me. Now, maybe you don't want to step into that promise, and that's understandable. We're going to find in a moment that ultimately, I do believe that that promise leads to the greatest hope that we could ever have. But Pilate here finds himself in that place where his control and his power is being challenged. We do not like our control, our certainty, our stability challenge. I don't like it. And we found that in unprecedented ways over the last few years, that we're finding ourselves and our even understanding of the world incredibly challenged by the reality of, and for, for many of us over the last number of years, it's even the recognition of the uh, racial injustice that exists in this world and in our, in our country and our communities. And as we're faced with that, we, we feel incredible discomfort, and we don't like that. I don't, I don't like it. I want things to be better than they are. We're, we're faced with incredible uncertainty and the lack of control in the midst of COVID coming and, uh, and people getting sick and people dying and not knowing how to, how to walk forward and move forward with masks and vaccines and the divisions that are happening. And then, oh, yeah, COVID's going to go away. And now it's back. And hopefully... Hopefully we won't be wearing masks uh, again uh, every day, right? Um, and, and yet we're completely out of control. Are we, have we ever been more faced with the fact that we are not in control? And we thought we were done with just naked violent aggression by uh, world powers. We, we thought that was, a, a, you know, that was done with maybe even the Cold War. When the Cold War ended, we're, we're kind of good to go, right? And we've been surprised, that is not what's happening. And it's, it, it, it will affect us more and more. Not in ways that it's currently affecting uh, the Ukrainians. But it's, it's affecting our economy. It's affecting the, the gas prices. And it will affect the prices of other things. And it, it will change the way we experience the world. And we're not in control. And our politicians aren't in control. And our economists aren't in control. We, we have to step into the reality that we're just not. And, and that following Jesus is stepping into that even in a deeper way of giving up control and handing it over to him, even when that means stepping into weakness and suffering, giving, being willing to give up comfort and power, being willing to step into the cross-centered life. That's what we're called to do in, in opposition to what Pilate does here. Lastly, we find uh, this Barabbas character, and we don't actually see anything or know anything about the way that he thinks about or relates to Jesus, but we see how Luke contrasts him with Jesus—that he is guilty. He's he's the guilty one. He's the one who is murdered, and he is the one who is guilty of insurrection in the city in Jerusalem, and uh, and he's there in prison already and about to be. Uh, to be killed, to be crucified himself, because that's what he deserves because he's, he's guilty. And that's the consequence for his guilt. And it's not even about Barabbas in particular. I mean, it's, it's about the contrast that he holds to Jesus. Look at verse 25. Luke has mentioned who he is, but here he highlights he's just the guilty one. He doesn't even say his name. Verse 25, he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they had asked, but delivered Jesus over to their will. The contrast of Jesus being delivered, Barabbas, the murderer, the insurrectionist, the guilty one being released to the crowd. It's it's this incredible contrast. And we are encouraged, I think. Again, this is the scriptural story throughout the Old Testament and then into the New Testament. We, We see it with, this is the reality of the fall. The fall tells us that we have rebelled against God, that we want to be in control. That Jesus has made clear that we are murderers if we hate in our hearts. We are guilty. Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah 64 says, even our good deeds are counted as polluted garments. Because they're not good enough. That's part of our brokenness. Psalm 51 tells us that we're brought forth in iniquity, that we're born into to sin. Psalm 14 says there are none who seek God. There's no one who does good, not one. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our hearts are deceitful above all. Who can understand them? This is the story consistently about who we are. But what do we find with Barabbas? We find this picture of Jesus trading places with, taking the place of, experiencing actually the punishment that Barabbas deserves, Jesus experiences that. Eusebius, who was a fourth century church historian, says the crowd thundered for a murderer of life to be given to them and for the author of life to be taken from them. The picture is Jesus, the one who doesn't deserve death, the only innocent one. This is what we read about in the New City Catechism during our time of confession. The only human being ever to walk on this earth, to have no sin in him, he is the one who goes to death, this horrible, shameful, painful, terrible death at the crucifixion when he did not deserve it, when there was another who did. And it's not just Barabbas, it's us. That is a description of of us and the blood of Jesus poured out was for us even when he didn't deserve it. This is the beauty of the hope that he offers so that we are united to him in his resurrection. But to get to that point, we first are united to him in his death. Paul makes that clear throughout Romans 6, 7, 8, that we are We are connected to him. We have the hope of resurrection. We have the hope of forgiveness, but that comes through death and that we enter into it ourselves because we are covered by the death of Jesus and his blood poured out. You may remember in 2013, there was a horrible, horrible terrorist attack in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, This Al-Qaeda affiliated terrorist group goes into a mall and there was one woman uh, and they, they a bunch of people, dozens of people are, are killed. And uh, in the midst of that, there's uh, one woman who falls to the ground. She dives to the ground as this happens, and, and a phone rings next to her. And she reaches over to, to turn it off so that they don't hear it. And she realizes, she says, I realized the guy was, was bleeding. And she made a, what she describes as a life-changing decision at that moment, that uh, she would uh, get some of his blood and put it on her so that they would pass over her, that they would realize that uh, they didn't need to, uh, to kill her. And that blood arguably saved her life. She was passed over. They didn't come uh, to her. And it was because another had covered her with their blood. And it's just a small picture of the way that we're covered by the death of Jesus. It's, it's, it's intense. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's real. And it covers us. This is going back just a few weeks to the fact that Jesus is that ultimate Passover lamb, that he's the sacrifice for you and for me. We, we, we like to touch it up sometimes and make it pretty. And, and it, it feels uncomfortable to talk about the reality of death. And yet we're reminded again in this Lenten season of that fact that death comes for each and every one of us, that it is very, very real, and that our guilt is very, very real, and that our problem and our problematic relationship with Jesus is very, very real, but he deals with it because he loves us and cares for us. And so he invites us in to experience his death and to be, as a result, forgiven and drawn up into relationship with him, to be a part of his family, to be his sons and daughters. Would we look to him and would we find hope, being challenged about the way that we think about him, when we engage him, he's, he's, he's doing this so that we can be in right relationship with him so that we can be his brothers and sisters. It's a beautiful picture of what he has accomplished for us. So He traded places with Barabbas. He trades places with us so that we might be forgiven and drawn into relationship with him.